Uh, today we're going to be reading our scripture passage, which is Ephesians 5, 1 to 7, but we're going to be setting it up uh, by reading uh, a few verses earlier in, in chapter 4, Ephesians 4, 17 to, I'm sorry, 17 to 23, uh, which is the uh, overriding passage, kind of the, 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 the uh, uh, theme paragraph that Paul has uh, for us, and which everything builds off of after that. So this is the reading of God's word. Lord, we ask that you would uh, work in our hearts, even as we just hear and read your word, uh, that your Holy Spirit would use the word that he spent 1,500 years uh, writing through uh, the, the apostles and the prophets, uh, the word of Jesus Christ himself, the word that points to Christ, uh, the word that's about Christ, and whom he is the original author, who is the living word. We come to you in his name uh, and ask your blessing on our time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him, and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And now our passage for today. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, even as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Here ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Um, one of my uh, favorite positions uh, at, at work, I'm a Security officer at, at Disneyland, uh, and we have uh, we have security officers that are trained uh, with uh, with dogs. We have our own uh, bomb sniffing and uh, drug uh, detecting dogs. And they're bomb sniffing. They're looking for explosives, any kind of explosives, ordnance or or um, guns or even ammunition. Uh, and uh, uh, so we have we have quite a few of our own canines, they're called Pluto units. And one of my favorite things is to, to work uh, in a position where I'm assisting one of the Pluto units. Uh, as uh, thousands, literally thousands of people come by these dogs, not all at once, but you know, tens and, and twenties and hundreds at a time. And, and these dogs are amazing because they'll be working back and forth, just sniffing the air for, for something. And uh, we have a position where if the, the dog alerts on someone, the canine, well, usually can tell because the dog gets so excited. What, what, what the dogs get excited about is they get a treat once they find 
uh, whatever it is they're looking for. They've been looking for it. So that's what they're excited. And the treat is play. Play, play. It really is. It's just play. It's like that, that, that dog from uh, over, the, over the Hedge, which is not a Disney movie, but remember that he, he was play, 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 play. Uh, and, and so they, they're trained. Their only play is when they get a reward for detecting something. So as so soon as we get alerted, I see them get excited. The uh, uh, security officer will alert me, and I'll go and, and pull the person aside. I kind of chase them down, pull them aside in, in a nice way and talk to them. And uh, uh, they usually laugh at me because I think I get more excited than the dogs when, when the dog alerts because I can go talk to someone. So one of the things that happens, so I noticed, is you know, typically it's going to be police officers or people in the military. Uh, sometimes even gardeners, believe it or not, you know, because they use uh, fertilizer. And fertilizer is a component of, of bomb making, as we know. Uh, from um, several different uh, events in our life. Um, but uh, when I pull someone aside, it's amazing, I can always tell when it's a veteran because they're so respectful, they're so abrupt, alert, not abrupt, but they're upright. I'll pull them aside and they'll be so apologetic. I say, excuse me, sir, the, uh, our, our ma'am, our, our dog alerted on you. And oh no, uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Well, you know, they'll pull aside and they'll stand there and yes sir, no sir, yes sir. And, and it's just a, that bearing that they have. It's their character. It's, it's just something that's so fitting for them. It's behavior that has been ingrained in them, and it's just part of them. Well, in kind of in the same way, Paul is addressing us and talking about the behavior that is fitting for us, that's proper for us. The sermon title is What is Proper for Saints. It's not the same as in your bulletin, because I put a placeholder there. It's, it's, it, Paul says, he talks about these things, that, that covetousness and, and uh, sexual immorality, idolatry, those things aren't fitting for us. They don't, they don't befit. They're not proper for those who are people that are saints, who are set aside for God's service. Just as the military are set aside for service to us, they have a, a, a respect and a bearing for those whom they serve. And we're to have respect and a bearing for whom we serve. So Paul begins, or we begin, by looking at this behavior that we've read, but not really the behavior, is that who we are, why we're to have a certain behavior. And this comes to, follows the same outline that Paul has given to us all the way through this section. He, he talks about who we aren't and who we are and then what we do. It's always based in who we are, our behavior. It's not a list of do's and don'ts just for the sake of do's and don'ts. He always points to the fact of who we are in Christ and who we are not any longer. Now, the first part of it we read, where he talks about being imitators of God's beloved children, this is a, a, a kind of out of sequence because it does start with the positive, but it really is a transitional section to our previous one. So. But we're going to pick up where he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. And he, and he talks about this in a way that he says, we're, and he actually finishes at the end. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. He tells us, don't be willing participants with the world in which we live, which is characterized by impure actions and words. He points to sexual immorality, lust, or lewd behavior. 
And he brings it, he uses it in, in a couple of different ways. It sounds like he's repeating himself, but he's talking about actions and talk, behavior and words. And he does it in two ways, but they build on each other. So they kind of explain each other. He says that what characterizes these people are, again, sexual immorality, lust, let's see, um, impurity, which is lustful or lewd behavior, and covetousness, which he explains later is idolatry. Uh, he talks about um, impurity, um, right, uh, then, and then uh, filthiness, which is shameful conduct, especially in the way we talk. It's things we, we talk in ways we shouldn't talk. It's it is it's kind of body jokes. Uh, it's it's use you know dropping f bombs. If you know for localism today, I am just shocked and still shocked at at how easily uh, people use the, the the f word today and every other word. It's and it's really kind of sad is to see that that women are now doing it as as much as men. Uh, and we're not supposed to be immune to that anymore. We're not supposed to be, it's still supposed to be shocking to our ears, our sensibilities. We're, we're not supposed to come used to that. And we're cer certainly not to be, for those of us that kind of use those kind of words, we're not to be kind of fall back into those patterns of behavior Paul is saying. He's recognizing that we came out of this world. He, he knows that we were children of wrath, even as the wrath as we're looking at, we'll look at in Ephesians 3 shortly here, uh, Ephesians 2. Um, but he's saying we're not those people anymore. And he says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk. That word foolish talk is interesting. It picks up on that word, that uh, the, the Greek word that would have been used in place of an Old Testament word for the fool of the Old Testament. It's described in Psalms and in Proverbs. This is foolish talk. It's the talk of a fool. It's the kind of talk where the person who says there is no God, the, the Psalm says that the fool in his heart says there is no God. Uh, in Proverbs, the fool talks about getting rich quick. Uh, you know, that our, our church has been plagued with a theology that is we call prosperity theology. It's it's really getting rich quick. It's the I, the idea. It's the theology that says you're a child of the king. You can have anything that a king or prince or a, a princess would have. Therefore, you deserve everything that's that's wealthy in the world, all the world's wealth, because it belongs to God. Therefore, you should have it. And all you have to do is exercise enough faith, and it'll come to you. Well, that that's the the fool. In, in Proverbs, wants to get rich quick and not work hard at it and not go through the troubles and trials of life and not be satisfied with whatever God gives them. And it's that, that there's whole, well, we, we, the, the, there's all sorts of, of um, pyramid schemes that, that, that are constantly preying on people to, to, if you just do this or sell this and get other, your friends to get involved with it, then you too will become wealthy because they're going to become wealthy under you and you know it's just bells and bells and we fall prey to that even as Christians in fact sometimes it's baked into the Christian church but that's we're, we're not to be those kind of people and that's what he's talking about that kind of, of, of attitude other attitudes of the fool 
um, is um, boasting of taking advantage of others, how easily people are duped. And another thing Paul says, we're not to be, um, have crude joking. Uh, that's mocking, really, it's not just the idea of, of coarse language, it's the idea of mocking others or, or making jokes at an other's expense. It's literally easily turned, is the word, what the word means. It's easily turned humor. It's humor that on its face could be funny, but there's something biting about it. It's looking down on someone. It's, it's mocking someone for their station in life or, or their race or, or their beliefs. And we as Christians aren't supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be above that. It's not fitting for us. Because Christ came for everyone. He came for the, the, the person of low position. He came for every tribe and tongue and race. He came for the destitute. He came for those who are hurting. He came for those who are absolutely sinful. Because that's who we were and who we are still in, in our old nature that still besets us. So that's why he says, don't be participants with them. Don't, at the end he says, don't be partners with them. That's the idea of more than just being an associate. Um, you know, I'm a cast member at Disneyland. We have our little phrase that we're all, we're not employees, we're cast members. My daughter works at Starbucks. And some of you have, have businesses that use this terminology. Everybody's a partner. They're all partners. They're not employees, they're partners. It's got kind of that, we're, we're in it together. It's not just that kind of an idea we're just in it together. It's the, it's the idea it's, we're partakers with. It's a, it's a very active partnership. It's, it's the idea of getting involved purposefully with that. He says, don't do that. That's not what we're supposed to be. And why? He goes back to the heart. And he, he has already said... Um, Earlier in Ephesians 4.19, and this is why I've included it in our reading, he talks about not um, walking as the Gentiles do. And he says in Ephesians 4.18, he says, they are darkened their understanding. He says, due to their hardness of heart. They've been callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He points to what Jesus points to, what the Old Testament points to. It's the heart is the issue. It's a heart that doesn't know God. It's a heart that's been changed by sin. And the actions come out of the heart. The heart means it's who you are at your very core. It's your person. It's not who you're trained to be. It's who you are inside. And when we do those things, it belies who we are with the new heart. Obedience or disobedience belong, begins with the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I didn't put it in your outline because it's, it just didn't have enough room. If you would sometimes would go to Ephesians 4, uh, 11 to 13, a very famous phrase, where, uh, verse where it talks about the Word of God is able to divide the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But right there begins with, the, before that he begins with the idea of disobedience. And then he talks about the, the scriptures able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He equates the, those thoughts and actions with disobe uh, disobedience with the thoughts and intents of the heart. It always goes back to that. Jesus says in Matthew 12, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings, brings forth evil. 
So Paul here is pointing to the heart, but there's a passage in the Old Testament we're going to go to that might be one you wouldn't normally think about going to. Uh, you might, you actually might, because it's the passage that ju- that that includes uh, the verse that says um, in Genesis six five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you remember where that was? That passage is. It's right before the flood. Right. It's the purpose he's bringing the flood. He's bringing judgment on the world. Now that should give you a clue because what did Paul say in our passage today? He says, don't do these things because in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's talking about the coming, the wrath to come. And he's really talking about the wrath of God that was evidenced in the flood. And there's a clue right there when he talks about the sons of disobedience. There's one of three clues in this passage. As Paul is driving us to this, the verse in the, or the passage in, in Genesis 6. Sorry, the brain's not quite firing together here. Back to Genesis 6. Three things, um, and I think I have them in the outline. N- named among you. He says, let, no, let not these things be named among you as proper among saints. That, that idea of being named, actions, activity being named among you. And then... The wrath of God in verse 6 and sons of disobedience in verse 6. And what that takes us back to is Genesis 6, 1-4. This is a passage which so many Christian teachers, I'm afraid, have taken totally out of context. But Paul helps put, us, put it into context. And there's a lot of commentators that, I, that get this wrong. And, and it's, a, it's a shame... Because what's happened in, in the last couple of hundred years is there's been a de-emphasis on tying the Old Testament and the New Testament. Fortunately, in the last 20 or 30 years, there's been a re-emphasis of, of looking at the Old Testament background to the New. When Paul wrote the Old Testament, I'm sorry, what the New Testament, he wrote his letters, it wasn't the New Testament, he was writing to the churches. Now, when I write out a sermon, would you expect me to come up to you and just take some thoughts off my, my mind and just say what I thought was, was nice things that I may have learned about in the past? I'm just going to put it in my own words. No, I hope you wouldn't. I hope you would expect me to expound on the Word of God because on the Word of God is living active in a two-edged sword. It's not my words. It's the words of God. My job is to to help expound, help you understand it. I want you to come away from this knowing the scriptures. If all you remember is what you read today in the scriptures and understand what Paul is getting at and have a deeper understanding, maybe a little more colorizing of of what is is meant here, maybe understanding what the Greek words behind it or the Hebrew words behind the passage, then ultimately that you've seen Christ in a way that you may not have seen him because Christ said that the purpose of a a, a scribe in the kingdom of heaven, any teacher of the king in the kingdom of heaven, is to bring out treasures old and new. We're supposed to bring out Christ, but we're also bringing out the, the treasures of the Old Testament as well. You would never expect me to sit here and just tell you what I thought was good. Well, Paul was no different. He was a scribe of the kingdom. His scriptures that he was expounding on were the Old Testament. And Paul was one of the best expounders of the Old Testament because he was one of the best the, best knowledge, the most knowledgeable in the Old Testament. He kind of 
boasts about that in a sense. In giving his credentials, he says that, if I may, I'll boast about these things, but he's not doing it to, to make himself look better. There was a time where, where people were looking down on Paul and, and look, looking up to other teachers that, that were trying to make themselves, put themselves above the apostles. And he's kind of gently putting them in their place and saying, you know, look, you know, we apostles are, we're, we're, we're pulled aside for reason, but he says, if I have a reason to boast, I, I would boast in these things. He talks about his understanding. He's, he's schooled in the Old Testament. He was schooled in the best teachers of the time, Gamaliel. One of, the, one of the most famous instructors of Israel, the Jews. And then he goes on to say, I'm not going to boast in those things. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the Lord. And so he boasts in the Lord all through his, his preaching too. Well, one of the, the background to the, this passage is Genesis 6. He's actually opening up for us. And that expression, sons of disobedience, leads us right back to this passage that talks about the sons of the gods. I'm going to read this passage and we'll expound on this and, and hopefully kind of pull this together for you in, in a quick amount of time. Genesis 6, 1-5. When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, or face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, it's actually literally the sons of the gods, saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of man, God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men, and men who were of old, the men of renown, literally, the men of name. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then he goes on to bring the flood. So to unpack this real quickly, you, you, you've probably heard fanciful interpretations of this. In fact, just do a, a um, just do a, a Google search of Sons of the Gods and you will see all sorts of, of weird things. And I've heard these throughout my whole life. Uh, first of all, most people think that it's fallen angels uh, that have procreated with uh, women on the earth. Well, um, we know from scriptures Jesus has said that um, angels are, they do not marry, they're not given to marriage. They're, they're not, they're, they don't procreate. They, they're just, that's just that's something they don't do. They're not made for that purpose. So right away, angels are ruled out. Um, but some people think some sort of celestial being, but with fun, Google sons of God and aliens. I was, I was thinking at some point that sooner or later people are going to associate aliens with us, and certainly that's where people go. Yeah. Is, is they're aliens now. Um, if you don't understand what's going on here, yes, you can come up with these fanciful things. The sons of the gods, we find, I put the, hopefully I put some of these scriptures in here. Uh, yeah, Psalm 84. Actually, one of the passages we read today in our scripture reading, what's one reason we chose it, um, in uh, yeah, Psalm 82, uh, it's, it said, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And it's not a, what, what you might think of that there's a scene where he's on Olympus and he's sitting there among the minor gods. No, he's, he's in judgment of the rulers of the world and he's really calling them 
to the judgment scene. This, we, should, we see this all the way through the Old Testament. Job, we see it in Job. Job's great appeal to God. He, he, he complains to his friends, where is God? And he says, let him, let him appear and let him come and address my concerns. He's calling God to the judgment seat, the throne, or not the throne room, the, the um, courtroom, because he wants a hearing. He wants God to hear his defense, that he was right and he didn't do anything wrong. He shouldn't be judged like this. And, 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 and he's, he realizes he's, appearing, he's appealing to, to want to go to God where God resides. And there's a phrase in there that Job mentions, or that one of the, his friends mentions, uh, Elihu. That's right, I'm, I'm forgetting the name. But right before God comes in the, in the great whirlwind, which is actually the, the, the great... Um, uh, uh, tornado or, or storm wind and, and, and talks to Job and says, who is this that darkens words without knowledge? Let him approach me and answer me. He's responding to Job's boast that he, he was right before God. But right before that, his friend says, look, from the north, we see him coming, flashes of lightning and thunder. And it's a phrase that is used of the coming of God of, of Mount Zephon. It's a word, the word Zephon means Mount of the North. It was there, it was the, the people of the day, their view that, that there was a mountain of the gods. The gods came from their Mount Olympus. It was the mountains of the North. Um, and in the, in, in, there's where the gods lived. And they had this, even the, the Israelites had, a, had a, this expression that God comes from Mount Zephon. He comes from the North. He comes from a place that isn't with, with us, but he comes and, and he comes and brings that judgment to us. And when he comes in judgment, we join him in judgment. And that's what's going on. God is coming, bringing his judgment among the, the peoples of the earth, the rulers of the earth, and calling them to account. And he's calling them to account through his word. And he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality wicked? Well, in, in, um, in uh, Psalm uh, 84, he does the same thing. It says, God has taken this place in the divine council, in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Oh, I'm sorry, it's the same one. I had 82 and 84. Um, oh, verse uh, in 82, or sorry, 84, later on, this is where he says, he says, I said, sorry, the psalmist said, now he's going to talk to those same rulers, and, he, and he's going to point out that they're, they're, they think they're greater than God, but they're only going to bring God's judgment on themselves. The psalmist says, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Then he appeals to God and says, Arise, O God, judge of the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. That word sons of gods or gods was used of human rulers. And a lot of commentators think that it was because they thought of themselves as divine. Now, isn't that the way of human rulers? They're given some authority by God or by divine, or sorry, by lineage, by, uh, because of birth, because the, the, there's a king or queen before them uh, that was their parent, and now they get to assume the throne. They think it's a divine right, that God appointed them there. And then they begin to start to think that, no, I'm there because I am divine. <laughs> And it's the way of man's flesh. It's the, it's, it's, you give power, you give money, you give authority, 
and people begin to forget about who put them there, and they begin to, to self become involved in self-idolatry. And so several commentators think that sons of the gods is a, a, what they probably call themselves. And so the writer of, of, or, or, of, of, of uh, Genesis, Moses, calls them by what they wanted to be called themselves, sons of the gods. So here are these boastful sons of the gods. They come along, and now you can see the behavior that Paul is going to refer later on. And the same exact things they do with abandon. Things that were actually introduced a little bit before in one of the first rulers, uh, uh, the one of the sons of Cain. Um, my name is blanking. I can't remember. The one who had two... I know this passage so well. I've preached something before here. He had, he had two wives, Ada and Zillah, uh, sons of, of, of Cain. Enoch. What? No. Yeah. Sons of Lamech. 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 Sons of Lamech. Lamech had two wives. He lorded it over people. He used an implement of one of his sons who had probably made a, 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 a tool that's used for farming, and he used it as a weapon to injure or kill a, a young man uh, who was insulting to him, who dared hurt his pride. Well, now we see this in abandon. Now it says the sons of God, the rulers of the world, take among the women of, of, the, of the sons of men, the daughters of the sons of men, any they choose. It's no longer just taking a, two wives and violating God's purpose for, for marriage. They take a bunch of them. They take anyone they want. And they lord it over people. And they dominate people. And you look at their behavior when they call them men of renown. It's dominating behavior. These are military people. They, they use military might. They use the, 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 the sword, means of force, to take anything they want. They're covetous. They're self-idolaters. So sexual, sexual immorality, um, idolatrous behavior, they covet something, they take it. And then bawdiness, disregard for other people. That, that, that was who they were. And that's what Paul is pointing to when he says the sons of disobedience. He's saying that's, that's not just those people, it's all their offspring. All who are truly of their line, those are the line of the fallen, the line of the seed of the serpent. Because we know that Satan was behind all of these. We see that pulled back in, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, where we see behind the rulers of this world, and I've got one of the passages there we won't go into, went into a little bit last time, um, of um, Isaiah 14, but it's also Ezekiel uh, 28, where the king of Babylon set himself up uh, above, he, in his mind he set himself above God, and he's, he decided he was going to ascend to above the throne of God uh, in his heart, and God threw him down uh, and made him nothing, made him low in the earth. But we see that that's what he did to Satan. He, he judged Satan for that. So he judged Satan, he's going to judge, he judged the, the, the people of the, of the time of the flood because their wickedness was so great, He's going to come back and judge the earth for these things. And he wants us to understand that that's where we came from. In Ephesians 2, remember what he said. He says, we were children of wrath, even as the rest. 
So we're not to be characterized by, we're not to be named by, we're not to be men of renown or men and women of, of the name of, of bad behavior, sexual immorality, or looking down on people, or, or, or coarse, coarse jesting, or just inappropriate behavior. Because that's not who we are. Remember, I keep going back to this. The, one of the most important things my dad ever told me, and things I remember when I was probably 11 or 12, it, it really made sense to me. When I, when I misbehaved about something, and instead of punishing me, bringing out the, the, pulled off the belt, he didn't do that this time. He just sat me down and said, that's not who we are. Not who we are as a family, not who we are as Christians. That's not who we are. And it had a bigger impact on me than the belt ever did. Belt still was in the background, but you know, the judgment was still back there. But it was that soft, gentle word, that word of, of love that corrected me. That's what God's doing. The belt, as it were, is being reserved for the world. It's, that's not who we are. We need correction, and this is where it is. We always go back to the beginning. We go, and Paul goes back to the beginning. Verse 1 in our passage, Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Children that were loved by God. Walk in love. We're not only loved by Him, we're, we're to walk in that love. As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're to revel in the love of God. The, that love that... that, that is, is amazing to us because it, it should, he should be punishing us. I came on, I, and I'm sorry for just kind of lack of sleep and emotionalism, but just thinking about that, those tender moments with my dad, realize how tender they were until just now. When I was deserving of judgment, I, I knew it. I knew I'd done wrong. I, I knew that I, because I'd lied. I did things behind his back. I did things behind my mom's back. I was disrespectful. And I, I was willing to take my lumps. In fact, that's why it was so, so impactful, because I knew judgment was coming. I, I, there was, I, up to that point, I used to live in fear of hearing the garage door opener, because I knew it's almost inevitable that I'd done something that day where my dad was going to bring up the belt. Frankly, I think my dad got tired of it, and he had to do something different. And, and so I went in there ready to take my lumps, and he said that. It's not who we are. And I realized it was the love that he showed me. But he's also asking me to walk in that love. I apparently knew this long before I ever did. That what's God asking us to do? We, we don't just revel in that love that he shows us where the wrath of God is turned away from us. We walk in that love. We imitate Him. Because that's who we are. And so the things that He does, or He did for us, we do for others. That's what He's calling us to. That's what's fitting for saints. That's what's proper for saints. And, and we're to, be, to imitate Him. We're no longer sons of disobedience. And Ephesians 2, he's, he, what has He done for us? He's seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Because Christ gave Himself up for us. That passage, Ephesians 2, we keep going, need to go back to that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. That's the passage, that's the background to Paul. Uh, in Paul for Ephesians 5. And that background for that is the whole Old Testament, which talked about the coming judgment of God, but also the coming grace of God in, in the Messiah. That God would forgive their sins, to remember their sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, he would put their sins from, from us and remember our sins no more. He would put his sins behind his back. I mean, he made a promise to never remember them again. That's a hold against us. But to give us a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And it's because of that we're not have the behavior, we've got a different behavior. And what is the behavior to have? Um, well, let me finish off this section. So it, just to give you a quick outline, we're not to be characterized or named by the sinful actions of the talk of the world around us, for which God has judged and will judge humanity. We're instead, we're to remember who we were, children of wrath, who we are in Christ, we're children of God, and why we are. We're set apart. We're saints. That word saints is interesting. And that's why I put it in the, in the sermon title. Because that's, that's what I missed. I was saying, I woke up this morning with a start saying, oh, that's what I forgot. And children, it was proper for children of God, but it's proper for saints. He said saints for a reason. Saints mean, doesn't mean we're... It, well, it's a word that's used for holy ones. But it literally in its terms means set apart or consecrated. It means that which is set aside for religious use or sacramental use. And when talking about people, it's those who are set aside for service to God. We're set apart. And we're actively taken from a, a common use, an ignoble use, to a noble use, to something uncommon, to something of, of great value. And it's value not because of what it's made of, it's because of its purpose. We're vessels of clay. We're, we're like Paul says, we're, we're, we're fragile vessels. We're, we're, we're made really to be used and disregarded. And we're, we're cracked and when we get old and, and really useless. But we're used in honor instead. We're prepared for honorable use. And that's what he always wants to remember. We're called to be servants of God. We're made higher than the angels. Angels are made for service to God. There were some that fell, but there's, they're, they're made for service to God. We're called to be active. We're called to show the love that they can't because we're sons and daughters of God. That's what he uses that we're children of God. We're all children of God. We're not to be associated with the, the evil men of the son that calls themselves sons of the God. We're now all children of God's. And we walk, what we do is we walk in love with thanksgiving. So we walk in love. We imitate God. We walk in love. And he says in, in verse uh, uh, he, he says um, well it's in there somewhere. Um, I know that it is in there. Oh rather he says rather be thanksgiving. Right? Oh I'm looking at the wrong passage. Sorry. He says 
Uh, verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there, let there be thanksgiving. That's what we're supposed to be. Walk in love and have an attitude of thanksgiving about everything, for everything we do, in everything we do, for everything God has given us. We're to be characterized by that. That's what we're to be named by. Love and thanksgiving. When people see that, they're to, to see that in us, they're to see love and thanksgiving. When they think about the, a Christian or the church that, that you want to be, they're to, to be, they're to think of those things. They're loving people. They're, they show the love of God. They're, they may not even recognize that it's the love of God. They may see that you're characterized by the things that God does for us, by self-sacrifice, by thinking of others first. By, by, by helping the destitute and the poor, by standing up for justice and mercy, all the things that God called those human rulers to do, we're to take on as the church because we're the ones that are to change the world from the inside out. We're not part of the world, but we're in the world. We're not supposed to be associated with them. We're supposed to be distinct. We're set aside for, for uncommon use, but we're in a common world. And that's why it's so wrong to... to to hide that to, by, by our, 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 our thoughts and our actions that leak out to the rest of the world. When, when other people are making crude jokes, we're not to be joining in them. We're, yeah, let them mock us for being different, but that's who we are. We're to imitate God. So we're to, we're to work hard to be characterized, to be named by actions based on love and talk that is full of thanksgiving instead of impure actions and words. May God help us this week. In the coming weeks, I mean, my prayer for, the, for this church is that as you seek to, to figure out who you want to be or who God wants you to be in Christ, remember these things. Paul, throw up this whole section of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Who you were, remember who you were before God called you, who you are in Christ and what God has called you to be as his set-apart ones, his saints in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be your children. You set us aside. Uh, we are no longer to be active participants in the world, but be active partakers um, in the gospel, as you've said earlier in Ephesians 3, that uh, you have made us partakers, active participants in the gospel. Not because of we decided to be active in it, but you decided that we should be active in the gospel and all the benefits of the good news of Jesus Christ in forgiveness of sins, in the, in, the, in the resurrection of our souls, a new heart, and the future resurrection to come, but also in the bringing of the good news of Jesus Christ to a hurting world, to bring justice and mercy uh, to those around us, to bring the love of, of Christ, your love for the world, your common grace to the world in uncommon ways. We pray this, that we would do this as, a, your, as individuals, as your people, and as, a, as the church in this community. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.